in standing and take your Bibles. Now and turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. And the words to which I would call your attention this morning come to us from Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 20. This is God's holy and inerrant word. We read it now as an act of worship. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth This defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said to him, Do you you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The grass withers, the flower fades. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you now with humble hearts, recognizing first and foremost that not one of us deserves to be seated here before you at the table that you have set to feast upon your truth, to be guided by it. Lord, we don't deserve to know anything that is good in this life. We deserve your wrath. We deserve every moment of every day to be afflicted, to be uh, weighed down, to be cast down because of our sin. And yet, through Christ, the light has shone upon us. In a mystery that perhaps we will never truly understand, You delight in us through Christ. And you call upon us to look upon you and see your smile upon your people. And so we do that. Dear Father, would you strengthen us? Help us to be obedient servants, imaging Christ in all that we do. And we pray, especially, Father, for the man or the woman who may be here or the child uh, in whom there is still unbelief to whatever degree it exists, Lord, that you would cast it out by the work of your Holy Spirit. Draw us all into a deeper love for Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Um, for, for many years now, I guess one of my favorite authors has been Louis L'Amour. If you don't know Louis L'Amour, he writes westerns. He also writes stories of other genres too. And, and I was reading one of these recently called Last of the Breed. If you haven't read Last of the Breed, um, by Louis Lemoore. It's great. It's a great book. And it's all about a man who grew up uh, and he was, his heritage is he was a Sioux Indian and just through a, he was, he had enrolled or he had enlisted in the military. He had become a pilot 
and the KGB caught, shot his plane down in Russia. And it's all about how he escapes through Siberia and he kills mountain goats and wears their skins. It's, it's amazing. It's a great story. But if you know anything about that period of time in Russia, um, you know that it was a period of great oppression. And anybody who raised his voice against uh, the Russian leadership, the authorities, he was immediately silenced. So lots of Christians were silenced if they didn't compromise. And so it was a really bad period of time. Well, as, as Louis Lemoore would have it, even, listen, even as you're running through Siberia, there's time for love. Okay, And so the main character, he falls in love with this woman, and she and her father give him a safe refuge until they send him on his way with supplies so that he can eventually um, make his way to Alaska um, against all hope. And there's this moment of dialogue between the, between the young woman and her father. And she said, There are good men everywhere. She said, recalling one, and you know who the one was, her love. Yes, Zikarev agreed. I only wish they had louder voices. You can imagine that, can't you, a little bit in our day. What, what is he saying? He's saying, I wish more men would speak up. The ones who have right convictions, I wish more of them would speak up and speak louder this was applicable in the days of the Russian KGB, and it is applicable today. But why don't godly men speak up more? Well, you know, because Facebook will ban you <laughs> for 30 days or forever. You might be canceled by your friends on Twitter. Uh, I guess it's formerly known as Twitter, now X. Why don't godly men speak up more, especially in the light of a crumbling culture? Why are we content, in other words, to borrow from the language of our Lord, why are we content to hide our light under a basket? Mainly because we are afraid of the reprisal that will certainly come. You'll be known, and people will make you known. They'll chastise you. Uh, you might be hemmed out of some of the groups that you are now comfortably in. But what this passage of Scripture teaches us this morning is that the Word of God exposes, rebukes, and corrects our wicked hearts and minds. So I want you to notice just the interplay. There's, there's a lot going on in this passage, especially the way that Matthew has structured it. Because we've got on the, sort of on the edges of it, we're thinking about where where does corruption come from? Does it come into me? Can I, can I catch it like the flu or like COVID? Is that how it works? Well, that seems to be the Pharisees' perception of it. But then in the middle, we're also considering the way that the Pharisees responded to Jesus' rebuke of their teaching. And so overall, what the passage is showing us is, is really that Jesus corrects false teaching and then there are two different types of response to it, and how we respond ultimately shows us something of our inner nature. We'll see three things. Jesus corrects, Jesus responds, and Jesus teaches. First of all, notice with me how Jesus corrects 
the Pharisaic understanding of cleanliness in verses 10 to 11. Look with me there at verses 10 to 11. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. You know that this is important. Why? Because Jesus starts it off by saying, like a, like a father would to his children, listen. He's emphasizing this next point. Listen to what I have to say. And so he proceeds now, and you're paying attention here because Jesus tells you to pay attention. And he corrects their teaching by telling them, it's not what goes into you that makes you defiled. Remember, we learned that to the pure or to the clean, all things are clean. It's what comes out of you that defiles you. Well, the people step back as they are prone to do, and they say, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? Because the same thing that goes in comes out, right? If you're thinking just in primitive, in natural terms, what goes in comes out. And so just as we begin here, I think the important note is that Jesus corrected their teaching how? In the form of a parable. Now, what do you know about parables? We went through uh, Matthew chapter 13, and when Jesus begins to teach in a parable, why does he do that? Do you remember? Why does Jesus teach in a parable? Well, in light of Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, the parable reminds us, remember, of God's displeasure with the Israelites. Everything, Jesus said, comes to them in parables because, Jesus said, it has not been given to them to know. The parable demonstrates God's displeasure toward Israel. They Listen, they are so faithless to Him that He removes the information regarding salvation. It's as though he's looking behind him and covering his tracks so that they cannot be followed. And some would respond, that's not fair. And I believe God would respond by saying, I don't owe you salvation in the first place. Everything that I give you, even the information and the calling to come to me in repentance and faith, is an act of grace. It is a mercy. It is not something that he owes to anyone. And this is something that we have to have deep down inside of us so that we understand the the plan of God. How then are we to take this correction in a parable? Well, it contains truth. Listen, it contains truth, but only for those who will make the effort to go in and get it out. The truth is there. In a way, this is a prelude to the work of the Holy Spirit. You and I remember that that bare truth without the Spirit's work does not result in change. And so you can, you can say it, and you can say it again, and you can say it a third time, and then you can start wondering, is something wrong with me? Am I not communicating clearly here? But 
the truth by itself without the work of the Holy Spirit will not result in change of heart. It is the Spirit's work through Christ to enable you to understand anything that the Scriptures say. This passage, it seems to it seems to put the accent here on the latter part of the passage that there are two separate responses we notice to Jesus' correction. The first response is irritation in verses 12 to 14. And the second response is investigation. So notice, secondly, Jesus responds to the Pharisees' irritation in verses 12 uh, through 14. Now, Let's read it, and then I want to to give you a little background information here. Picking up in verse 12. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Well, what's going on here? Well, the disciples are concerned. Think about this now. That Jesus is, in modern day language, he's punching right. In other words, he's not going after the theological liberals of his day. He's not going to the steps of Yale and saying, what's going on here? Why are you denying the divinity of Christ? He's not speaking to the atheistic Romans of his day and saying, why do you worship gods who are no gods, as, as Paul might do in the Areopagus? Who's he going after? Pharisees. These are the religiously conservative men of the day. These would have been the men known to the other Jews as reformers. These are the ones who are restoring the pure Jewish faith. They're not compromisers. These would have been the guys who didn't let their kids see Harry Potter films. And the disciples are coming to him. They're concerned. Jesus, if you lose the Pharisees, you lose everybody. You will have no clout left in the community whatsoever. Let's, let's not punch the religiously, the religiously conservative. Let's go after the liberals. Maybe what we can do is we can form an alliance to begin with, and then you just sort of ease the truth in as you go along. Maybe their expectation was that Jesus would consult with his PR team and draft a response explaining that he didn't intend to offend anyone, since this is the unforgivable sin after all. And then offering all the caveats that would allow the Pharisees to go on thinking they're pretty good guys. That's the modern Jesus. Maybe they could form an alliance. Maybe they could figure out the ways that they sort of tied together the things that they agreed on and move from there. Yet Jesus teaches you and me how to develop the divine art of contentment put another way, of not caring when people are offended by the word. Do you know how to develop the divine art of contentment when people are offended by the word of God? Well, Jesus gives you two things to think about. Notice what he says. One, offense or scandal, think about this now, is a proper work of the word. 
It's not the word gone wrong. It's not the Bible gone wild. Offense or scandal is a proper work of the word. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 13. He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. You see what he's saying? Fellas, I hear you. But you need to understand something. And here's what you need to understand. God has a field. He's a farmer. And in his field, he has plants. And in that field, do you understand, there are some plants that God did not put there. Now remember, he's not talking about theological liberalism. He's talking to the theological conservatives of the day. And he's saying, in this field, there are plants that my father did not plant. And how will he remove the fake plants? Well, he's not going to dot them on the nose. It's just through the preaching of the word. The word roots up and removes false plants. The aquarium plants that are in God's field, the word will remove. Remember, the word is a two-edged sword. You remember that? Literally, it's a two-mouthed sword. So in some, it comes along and it cuts the flesh. It, remember, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And it wounds you, and then Christ binds up those wounds with his oil and enables you to go on in greater faithfulness to Christ. But remember how John the Baptist talked about the beginning of Jesus' ministry? He said, everybody listen. The axe is already laid to the root of the trees. Jesus is coming along and he's disking up the field. This is the work of the Word, and this is one of the ways that you and I have to become comfortable with the work of the Word, is understanding that, that when the Word is offensive, when properly taught, don't lose heart. This is a proper work of the Word. This is one of the ways that God is removing the waste from His field. He's cleansing it. He tells you a second thing in verse 14. A second way that you can become content with offending others, let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. So not only is, not only is a, um, offense or scandal a proper work of the word, Jesus says here, but he, he says another thing here, those who take offense at God's word have a place in God's plan. Think about that with me. Those who take offense at the word, they're not working against God's plan. They are working with his plan. What are they doing? Well, they're helping to cleanse the field because they're leading the blind out into condemnation. Now, look at what Jesus says, verse 14. Just those three words, let them alone. Remember, this is the shepherd who go, leaves the 99 to go after the one, but here's an occasion where the shepherd says, don't do anything. Remember when Jesus called the disciples to himself? Peter and Andrew and James and John. Remember that? And he said, drop your nets. 
and they dropped their nets. This is the same word. Drop it. Leave them. Don't chase them. Leave them in their offense. Let them go. And this is an important principle of Scripture. There are points in the Christian life where it is, listen, your responsibility to let people depart. Let me give you an example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there's the example of a man or a woman who's a believer, and he or she is abandoned by an unbelieving spouse. And you can imagine, based on the principles of Scripture, you say, well, divorce is evil. God hates divorce. But here's a, here's a, a believing spouse, and the other spouse just, he says, I'm out. What is she supposed to do? Well, the Scripture says, let him go. Don't cling to him. That's not your responsibility. Let him go in his unbelief. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, remember, Paul said, I have turned Hymenaeus and Alexander over to Satan. Let them go. He's taught the disciples, when you come preaching the word, and if they don't receive you, what do you do? Beg and plead? Do a self-examination? No. Knock the dust off your shoes and move on. Because the role for these folks, especially the Pharisees, in God's plan is that they were the leaders of the blind. They are blind leaders of the blind. And where are they leading them? Into the pit of destruction. They are fulfilling God's plan for their lives by leading, leading those whom God has chosen not to save into destruction. Both will suffer punishment. How do we take this in? How do I gain this contentment? Because on the one hand, as, as, a, as a disciple of Christ, you have a deep love for the lost. You want to see all men worshiping Christ, coming to Him. And we would love to, as we, as we sing in the hymn, uh, um, we, we long to see every church full, every faithful church. We want to see brimming with godly, vibrant people. But you balance that by also knowing that there are some who will never respond to the gospel. And, and here, it is not you. And therefore, you can feel free to preach the word in season and out of season. And in other words, when people are responding in droves and they're saying, we would hear more. Preach for an hour. And in the seasons where, according to surveys, 56% of Southern evangelicals say, I don't need to go to church to have a spiritual life. You can be content by knowing that this doesn't rest upon your shoulders. And even when you preach the word and someone slaps you in the face and says, I don't want to hear that, you can say, well, this is the proper work of the word. It's not me. But you also understand the fundamental reason why, why are men offended by the word? Men are offended by the word because on every page it is telling them, you 
don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. And he has the authority, if he so pleases, to require you to squeeze the toothpaste out of the tube in a certain way. That's the level of his authority. He can tell you how to comb your hair and what to wear. He has that level of authority. He can tell you how to resolve a fight. He can tell you how to worship and how not to worship. This is his authority over our lives as our creator. And yet men from birth, what do our hearts, which are wicked and corrupt, tell us? You're a law to yourself. You, you plan your destiny. You set your goals. You pursue those goals. Whatever they are, you become that thing. But the Word says, God is your master. And His plan for you is for you to be an obedient son. Men hate this. They hate it. Because we desperately want to be a law unto ourselves. So Jesus responds to the first responders, those who are irritated by his teaching, by saying, let them go. It's okay. This is a proper work of the word. Let's continue on our ministry. Even if you lose the city, even if you lose the city. Why? Because God wins. He is the one who wins through the word. Trust him. Trust him. Thirdly, verses 15 to 20, Jesus responds to those who investigate. He responds to those who investigate or teaches those who investigate. Look with me at verse 15. But Peter said to him, here's old Peter, the bold one. And he actually comes to Jesus with the command. Explain the parable to us. This is a good thing, and, and, and it's one of the things that we see differentiates um, the, the disciple of Christ, the, the true plant, the one that God has planted, from the aquarium plants in God's field. How are they distinguished? Well, in the way that they respond to the Word, do you see? The one that is a true plant, what is, he wants more. I don't understand this, but help me to understand. And then we look at the way that Jesus responds to him in verse 16. And he said to them, are you still also without understanding? Maybe not what Peter expected. Literally, Jesus said to, the, to him, are you still foolish? Jesus, could you turn the condescension up a little bit? You know, just, just a few chapters back in Matthew chapter 8, verse 25, we were dealing with a kind of a tough, tough situation and the waves were coming over over the, over the boat, and we were afraid, and you looked at us and you said, are you still cowards? Okay. Can, how about some softness? How about some meekness and mildness here? But, but Jesus is he's chastising these men for not understanding. How can he do that? Well, because one of the issues with our hearts, as corrupt as they are, as ones that bring out vileness and iniquity, one of the aspects of our hearts is that they also suppress truth. Do you not understand? 
I think another reason that Jesus responds to Peter in this way is that a key aspect of discipleship, you know it, is humility. Some of you, you've owned businesses or you've been in leadership positions in your respective workplaces, and you know that you can spot two types of employee. There's the one who knows everything already. He doesn't need you to tell him anything. He's a master of all things. And then there's the other kind of employee who comes to you and he says, I don't, I don't know, I don't understand. Would you please teach me, help me? And, and the kind of employee you want is the one who says, I, I don't know. He has a teachable spirit. And Jesus humbles his people. Peter, you're going to be a teacher of Israel. And it is key so that you not become a blind guide leading the blind into the pit of destruction that you apply the truth to yourself. And one of the applications of this is simply that men must know the word in order to lead at home, to lead at work, to lead in the community. We must know it to be faithful leaders. And one of the things that Christ applies to us is humility. Everything, here's the way to think of it. Everything that you need to know, you should know. And the reason that you don't know it is because of your sinful heart. And sometimes the way that that sinful heart shows itself is one, bucking against what the Word says and says, well, I don't actually want to know that part. (laughs) And then by the laziness that shows itself in our lives with refusing to take time to understand God's Word. And so as we seek truth, we begin by, one, confessing our ignorance and asking forgiveness. Do you think about that? Asking God's forgiveness for not knowing his word the way that you ought to know it? Do you ever do that? If somebody comes to you and they they confront you over a sin issue, there are two aspects of your repentance. If it's something you didn't know that you were supposed to be doing, you say, Lord, forgive me for doing that thing and also for not knowing that I was supposed to do it. Some of our ignorance is because of a lack of diligence with the Word. A lack of faithfulness in attendance to worship or attendance to other teaching opportunities in the church. But in that same prayer, you thank God that He mercifully offers truth to you by His Spirit. He doesn't owe you that. He doesn't teach you because he owes it to you. He teaches you because in his mercy he delights in you. Notice also here that Jesus reveals his truth. Continuing in the way that he teaches, he reveals his truth in verses 18 to 20. What does this reveal about Jesus himself? It reveals that he's gracious. And even though you you may come to him and he might chastise you and say, Brian, are you still foolish? 
You've been walking with Christ. You've been reading your Bible for 20 years now, and you don't know this yet. And, and we would all confess, I'm, I'm continuing to learn, and the Lord is sanctifying me by pouring His truth into me, and every time I, I read, I learn things. And that's, that's a kindness of God, that He would continue to teach you, even though in those 20 or so, 40 years that you've been walking with Christ, you haven't been perfect in your obedience. He continues to, treat, to teach you, and as you ask Him to show you His truth, what does He do? He shows you. Jesus' teaching reveals, too, the true nature of spiritual cleanliness. Let's look at the end of this. Do you not see in the literal idea here that whatever goes into the mouth goes into the stomach and is contained and is cast into the toilet? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. You know, sometimes we can make the mistake of saying, well, I have this issue. I, I have anxiety. I have depression. And we, we speak of these, these things sometimes in the same ideas. Well, it, I, I caught it like a cold. But Jesus, notice what he says. And, and here he's moving from the ceremonial law and the idea of cleanliness, and he goes all the way back to the moral law. Look what he says. It's not just uncleanness. It's every perversion that is, is present in your life. It doesn't come from without. Look what he says. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. When you desire someone else's harm... That comes from within. Murder. Murder comes from the heart. Adultery. Fornication, sexual immorality. Theft comes from the heart. False witness. Slander. What Jesus is teaching is, is actually... Dear friends, if you want to be holy before God, remember he said your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Why? Because they are only concerned with external cleanliness. You, on the other hand, have to be concerned with holiness, and that is internal. And that is you are seeking day by day to eradicate from your life not the germs that accumulate on your skin, but the perversion that is accumulated in your heart. Did you know that your heart is a fountain of wickedness. There is an unending, eternal spring of licentiousness in you. And do you know that if you gave into your heart, the source of perversion in your heart is so wicked that you could spend your whole life indulging it and never exhaust the imaginations of your wicked heart. Verse 20, these are what defile you. This is why the Scriptures say you, you are conceived in iniquity. You remember the old debate between um, circumstances that you grow up in or nature, nurture versus nature? 
Both are important. But nature is central. You don't have to teach children how to sin. They come forth knowing how to do it very well. This is where corruption comes from. You could be born in Siberia all alone by yourself and you would have plenty of sin to keep you company there. Thank you very much. Christ draws you to Himself so that He may teach you to believe the truth. And we begin understanding the truth when we acknowledge before Him that everything we need Him to teach us, we should already know. And it is an aspect of our perverse hearts that we don't know it. And do you know what He does for you? By His Holy Spirit, brings you to Himself, and He teaches you. And the more you ask, the more He gives. The more you express your humble need for Him, the more He pours into you by His Holy Spirit. And, and what He shows us is that the Word of God, what does it do in this process? It exposes, it rebukes, and it corrects our wicked hearts and minds. It exposes our sin. It shows us who we truly are. This is the mirror that opens the inner man and reflects it to, to us. The ministry of the Word, it will offend in Jesus' ministry, the offense was intentional because it exposed hypocrisy. Jesus' first concern was not to root out unbelief in the world, it was to expose falsehood in the so-called spiritual elite. And the Word of God plainly and directly taught was sufficient to expose the poison that lay deep within these folks' hearts. And it is the same work in you and me. Do you know that? You know those old westerns where uh, one of the characters would get bitten by a snake and John Wayne would get down and cut the wound and draw the poison out? This is the work of the Word in your life. It pulls the poison out. It does the same work in you and me in that Christ, by His Holy Spirit, exposes our hypocrisy and foolishness every time we go to His Word and you know that the Spirit is at work in you when rather than rebel against what Christ exposes, you respond in humility, in repentance, and in submission. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and Father, apart from your sovereign work in our lives, we, we would be following after the Pharisees. Apart from the work of Your Holy Spirit, we would be numbered amongst those who are marching blindly into a pit, into eternal destruction. We thank You for the reminders that we've received here, dear Father, that You are sovereign. And even in, even in men who reject Your Word, arrogantly so, they are within Your plan. They have a part to play in the way that you are cleansing your garden, cultivating it to the glory of Jesus Christ. Help us to play our part too, dear Father, by raising our voices, by not hiding our light under a basket, but by being faithful to Christ to call out 
and say, this is the way. Walk in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.